Hey, how you doing everyone? This is Vito Persian on All Things Life again. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'm going to jump right into it this week. Um, I'm sorry this is a little bit late, but let me jump right into it. So this week's episode is called Empowering Yourself. And, you know, when it comes to empowering yourself, there's so many tools that we have, so many different things that we can do to basically just be better. You know what I mean? Be Work more efficiently, be more effective with the things that we do. And instead of wasting so much time and energy into things that, you know, don't really get us anywhere, there are certain tools that we have that can kind of give us that push start that we need to be able to achieve the things we want. You know, when it comes to empowering yourself, one of the first things that you should really do, in my opinion, is to start envisioning yourself with certain victories in life where you can kind of try to shift that energy of the universe so you're more able to be on the road that leads to success. Um, I'll get into a little bit more details on what that means once we kind of get into it. But certain things like self-doubt, anxiety, negativity, these are all just parts of the process. You know, it's, it's way too often where we sometimes think that we're on the wrong track or that we've slipped when we feel some of these emotions like I'm going backwards or I'm doing the wrong thing. But the reality is, is that the road is not a straight linear line. It's curved and it has huge peaks and some really low valleys where we love and hate life. You know what I mean? But that's all part of the process. You can't expect to get to your goals with just continuous wins. There are losses, there are failures and pain. And that's why when you start to go through certain things in life where you feel like you're taking a step back, don't hate yourself over it. Don't have self-doubt. Don't be scared and, and, you know, think that, are you on the right path and start questioning yourself. Keep going. If you listen to so many different motivational speakers like Will Smith and, you know, all these different people that are just, you know, talking about great things on YouTube and Instagram. One of the things that you hear a lot is to just keep going, stay persistent. You know, don't let a few failures, don't let a few setbacks and a few emotional, like, you know, negativity that you feel to be the reason why you don't keep going. And I think one way that we can all do this this is what I really want to touch on today. It's about your habits. So I recently got a book um, called The Power of Habits. And I haven't quite finished the book yet. Um, I'll kind of go into a little bit more details with you guys in a bit. But what was so amazing about this book was that it broke down the science of habits. I feel like the title of the book should be changed to The Science of Habits instead of The Power. But there's truly power when it comes to your habits. Let's jump right into it. So habits are made up of three things. There's the cue, our routine, and the reward. Majority of the things that we do on a daily basis revolve around these three things. Because a lot of the things we do are repeats. Whether that's work, whether that's, you know, someone who's addicted to going to the gym, or whether that's, you know, small, minor little things like what you do when you get out of bed, these are all part of habits. So the book I mentioned, it it thoroughly explains, you know, the discovery of habits and how this portion of the brain called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the basal ganglia, it shapes what and how we do things. So one way that they discovered, you know, that habits aren't just something in your mind and that there's something physically in your brain that is making you do these routines is because of a guy named Eugene. What happened is uh, Eugene was about, uh, I think, 71 years old. Um, He came down with a disease where it destroyed a tiny portion of his brain. 
And once that happened, of course, you lost, you know, motor motor skills like walking, swallowing, talking, certain things. But those things quickly and slowly came back. But what didn't come back was his short-term memory. So they realized that, you know, he, he doesn't remember what he ate this like in the morning. He doesn't remember literally 10 minutes ago. He can't remember what he did yesterday. But what was interesting was that if you asked him about an event from 30 years ago, he explicitly told you all the details, the dates, everything that happened. So that was the first thing that kind of arose the curiosity in regards to what's causing this short-term memory loss. So scientists told uh, Eugene's wife that do not let him leave the house on his own because if he does do that, he's not going to be able to find his way back. He doesn't remember where his home is. So him and his wife would go out on walks every morning just to kind of give him that exercise that the doctors had suggested. But one day, what ended up happening is he left the home on his own. And so, you know, you can just imagine the wife is panicking all the time, like, where did Eugene go? Where, where has he gone? Half hour later, he opens the front door and he comes right back in. So the doctors started investigating. If he doesn't remember where his home is, how was he able to get home? So every single day, you know, he would leave his house on his own. He would go through these elaborate paths and go on a walk behind his home and he would come right back home. So the doctors suggested, they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to accompany you on one of these walks. So they went with him. He, he did not have to ask directions whether he should go left at this crosswalk or right. He just knew exactly where he was going. Halfway through the walk, when on the way back, they stopped Eugene and asked, Eugene, do you know where your house is? And he replied, I have no idea. And then he continued to walk right back into his home. Doctors were stunned by this. They could not understand how is it that he's able to walk back home, but he can't tell us how to get back home. Upon study of the brain, they realized that it has to do with this basal ganglia portion of your brain. It's what, it's the portion of your brain that controls habits. So as scientists looked into Eugene, they start to question, what is the purpose of habits? Why do we have habits? Why does the brain do what it does to create these habits for us? Because if you've noticed in your life and anybody else's life, habits are sometimes detrimental. There are a lot of times they're very negative. They make us do certain things throughout the day that we start to hate ourselves, whether it's not going to the gym or it's not eating right. So the question became, why do we have habits? So to explain that, I'll, I'll explain a little experiment that I read throughout this book. So. What scientists did is they basically took a rat um, and they put all these little tiny wires inside the brain to be able to, you know, analyze what the brain is doing as they put this rat through this experiment. What the experiment was, was to put the rat in a T-shaped uh, hallway, I guess you could call it, like a tiny little box that was T-shaped. And they put the rat at the bottom of the T. And they put a little door that would go up and down right in front of it. At the far left of the tea was a little piece of chocolate. And so what they did is, you know, they opened up the little latch, the rat would go forward. And the moment that happened, the, the brain's analysis showed that it was consistently active. 
and it showed that the rat would go forward, it would start scratching at the walls, it would start, you know, moving around, its nose was consistently working, it would go to the wrong side of the tea, it would sniff the corner out, then it would go to the chocolate, and boom, it would get, it would find the, the reward. So they kept putting the rat through this, through this routine, they kept putting the rat through this routine, to a point where eventually, the moment the door opened up, it did just one thing. It went straight to the chocolate. It stopped scratching at the walls. It stopped questioning where it was. It stopped going into the wrong direction. It went straight to the chocolate. So once they put, them, put the rat through this routine, they studied how the brain looked in terms of its activity. They noticed that there were two peaks. When the rat hadn't created a habit of knowing where the chocolate was, its brain was consistently active, as I mentioned. But once it did figure out the habit, the only two times where it peaked was when the door opened up, which was the cue in the three uh, steps in the habit that I explained. And the last time was when it got the chocolate. In between, its brain had almost shut down. Its brain was not functioning. It was not thinking whether there is a chocolate at the end or there isn't. Whether it should go towards the chocolate or it shouldn't. It just did exactly what the cue instigated and what the reward in its mind was. So they went further with the experiment. What they did was they changed up the shape of that box. They kind of changed the structure of the tea into a different shape. And notice that again, at the beginning, there was high activity in the brain of the rat. It was going around, scratching at the walls, looking where everything is. Eventually, once they did it back to back to back, again, the same routine was created. It knew exactly where the chocolate was and it stopped brain activity for the time that it took to actually get to the reward. So they went even further with the experiment. This is so interesting. They went even further. What they did is they put the rat back into the original shape. They're like, will the rat remember, despite the different shapes that we put him through, will it remember the original shape? It remembered exactly where the chocolate was. The moment that door went up, it realized its initial cue and it knew exactly which direction to go to get to the chocolate. So this was an amazing discovery because when you look at the science of habits and why we do certain things, it makes sense why, you know, when we love overeating, for example, why we stop thinking when we start doing it and why it's so hard to break habits because the reason why the brain does this is not because the brain is weak or you're weak or that there's something wrong with you, but it's actually very unique way of your brain being as efficient as possible because your brain doesn't care about being having these complex thoughts and having these you know diff, making having to make difficult decisions it wants to be efficient it wants to make sure that it can last as long as possible right think of your battery for example like your battery on your phone it does everything it can to stay as efficient as possible apple has now introduced uh, from like the new iphone upgrades they've now introduced uh, something where the battery will recognize if you're charging it too often that it won't charge over than over 80% so it can retain the, the life of the battery. So the reason your brain does this is to, is to retain its efficiency. You know, I'm going to give you guys something that just blew my mind here. I was reading this book here and it gave me a brilliant example. If you guys ever notice, the store Cinnabon in every single mall is never in the food court. Why is it that a food store would never want to be 
within the same vicinity of other food. The reason is because they've actually picked up on the science of habit. They've been able to recognize that when you smell Cinnabon from all the way across the mall, that is the cue that's needed to be like, oh shit, I, I'm kind of craving Cinnabon. I've done this so many times myself. All of a sudden the smell hits my nose and all of a sudden I feel like, you know what? I, I would really want a Cinnabon. I may not be hungry. I may not be even thinking of Cinnabon, but the moment that hits my nose, the moment that does, I think of the reward of that sugary treat that I can get. You know, major corporations, companies, businesses, influential people have used the science of habit to be able to manipulate certain people and, you know, consumers to be able to buy and use certain things. Febreze is another perfect example. And what I'm gonna do today with you guys is I wanna be able to give you two ways that's possible to be able to use these habits that we have because at the end of the day, we always think about negative habits. But the reality is, is that there's a lot and a lot of positive habits that you can create in yourself that can truly change your life. Whether that's eating habits, going to the gym, sleeping on time, waking up early, uh, procrastination, all of these are habits. And to, to before I get into these two ways, I want to say one last thing here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you guys a really quick scenario that I think was a really good explanation on why habits exist and why our brain wants to be efficient. The example is, you know, every time you leave your house, let's say you're going to work or let's say you're going to school, whatever the case may be, right? You have these habits. If you drive, you're backing out of your driveway. If you live in an apartment, you're going to scan your key card to get out of the apartment. You walk downstairs you walk to the same bus stop, you take the same route to school, it's always the same route. And what's interesting is that when you're at home and you're getting ready to leave, your brain is in high activity. It's like, okay, did I get my keys? Did I pack my lunch? Did I bring my gym clothes? Or I don't know, whatever your routine is or whatever you need to for throughout your day. When you're doing that, you're walking outside, you're walking to the nearest bus stop, and all of a sudden you remember, shit, I forgot my keys. Or shit, I forgot my wallet. I know that happens to a lot of people and it's interesting that it happens for a specific reason. The reason why your brain shuts down in times of habit, other than efficiency, is so that the other parts of your brain can also work. If you're consistently in high activity, certain parts of the brain that only get activated when your brain is at a low state, don't ever get activated. And that's why when you're in your routine and you're in that portion where your brain is in low activity, you all of a sudden remember what you forgot. So it's so interesting how your brain is designed to be as best as it can be. We're not even using it to its full potential. So let me get into the two ways that I mentioned I was gonna say here. So the first way is to kind of manipulate the structure that I outlined, this cue, routine, and reward. What's important is that if you have minor habits that are kind of becoming obsessive, like little things that you might do, like, you know, that might get on a partner's nerve or something that bothers you on a daily basis, the trick is to keep the same cues and reward. It's very, very difficult for you to try and try to change the cue or a reward in order for you to change these really deeply engraved habits. What do you change, you may ask? What you change is the routine. Some examples of like what the cues and rewards are 
is kind of like the Cinnabon example I gave you. Um, I kind of touched on a little bit on uh, Febreze, but another example is one of the major companies of toothpaste that really, you know, erupted and changed the way that Americans at a certain point around World War II started brushing their teeth. And the way that they did it was, you know, there were numerous toothpaste companies back then that would say, okay, you know, there's a film on your teeth, there's the enamel underneath, you can have beautiful white smiles, and you know, you can be a part of the elite in society. You know, all the different marketing tactics that you'd imagine someone to use or a major corporation to use. But none of them were really effective to get Americans to brush their teeth. What this company did, they were called Pespondent, I think. What this company did was they gave you a cue and the cue was, the marketing tactic was to get you to use your tongue to lick your upper teeth. And you know, the moment that people did that, they felt a little film above it. You know, you feel that little dirtiness, you feel that little grime on top of your teeth. That was the cue. The reward was actually a secret because you wouldn't have known the reward until you did start brushing your teeth. But what happened is that every time people saw these marketing campaigns and advertising campaigns, they started licking their, their, their front teeth. And every time they noticed that there's a film over it. So of course, you know, habit comes as, as more people start doing certain things, they went and they started grabbing this toothpaste. And what the toothpaste had in it, which toothpaste at the time didn't, which you guys would be astounded to know that every single toothpaste that we now have includes this formula is that minty feeling that you get that cleanly feeling that you get when you brush your teeth that feeling itself does nothing to actually clean your teeth it is just the feeling but what it did is that every single time you touched your tongue above your teeth and you felt that there was some film over it when you felt that minty sensation in your mouth it was like the conclusion and like the closing chapter of you having clean teeth. It was like the stamp of approval. Yes, my teeth are clean. That sensation is what drove Americans at the time to start brushing their teeth every single night. That's another example of cue and reward. So what I'm mentioning here, what I'm saying the first thing to do is, is to change the routine. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, let's say someone is addicted to smoking cigarettes. The urge to smoke and the reward of a cigarette, you can keep those rewards, right? That feeling that, okay, I've just had the cigarette. You can keep that. But the only thing that you change is you might replace the actual cigarette with maybe 10 push-ups instead, or maybe a cup of coffee. I don't know if the cup of coffee is gonna be, you know, great based on, you know, the health benefits of coffee, but you replace the actual routine. I had someone tell me that uh, his mom quit smoking cigarettes after 27 years from simply changing the hand that she held the cigarette when she smoked. The cue and reward stayed the same. She still smoked the cigarette every time she urged, She had the urge to do it, but all of a sudden it, it disrupted her entire process of 27 years. It didn't feel the same on the other hand. The routine was different. And you know, they've done studies on, on, on monkeys as well to show that when you change the routine or when you delay the reward process in this, in this structure, the monkeys, you know, tended to get depressed and they tended to get angry when they didn't get the reward as they expected. And that's completely normal. Think of your own life, for example. If you don't get a certain reward that you're expecting once you feel a certain cue, you get agitated, you get stressed, you you use the, the idea that your stress is a reason to go back to this cue, or sorry, to go back to this routine. And that's what's so important, change that routine. And you will find drastic 
changes in your own life. So the second uh, key that I'm going to give you guys is by implementing something that they call keystone habits, or as they put it on quote unquote, small wins. The perfect example to this is Michael Phelps. I think that this blew my mind when I heard this story. So let me share this with, let me share this with you guys. So his coach for his entire swimming career had implemented a daily routine that was engraved in his mind. Whether he was training or whether he was in a race, it all felt the same for him. The story is, is that one time uh, in the Beijing Olympics, he had already won, I think, three gold medals at the time. He was in his next Olympic final race. And, you know, he gets up in the morning, does his routine, you know, gets downstairs, eats his breakfast, uh, puts on the same clothes, you know, does the same stretching, does the same training and practices. He gets on the, on, on the podium, He's in his stance about to jump off right when the gun hits. He's waiting as, as is everybody else. The gun goes off and he takes a dive right into the water. The moment that he dives into the water, he notices something. His goggles were not perfectly on and water had started getting inside. So he pushes on, he keeps going. He's like, okay, you know what? I just hope that this doesn't get worse. As he hits the, the end of the swimming pool and he does the first turn, and as he just blasts off from that turn, everything goes dark. His entire goggles get foggy. He can't see a single thing. Now for swimmers, they say that that's one of the worst things that can happen to you because immediately once you lose your sense of direction, there's panic. You start to, you know, you start to panic. You don't know which way you're going. You don't know how many strokes to take. You start to panic and you've lost the race. Every millisecond in a, in a swimming race is, is everything. I can change it from, you know, a win to last place. So what does Michael Phelps do? He fights on. He says in his mind, this is no different than all the training that I've done before. It's going to take approximately 18 to 20 strokes to get to the end of the race. So he keeps going, can't see a single thing, keeps going, keeps going. He does 18 strokes, 19, 20. He senses that he should do one more, does 21. And as he does it, he touches the end of the wall, pulls off his goggles, looks at the screen and says world record. That gives me goosebumps because it's so crazy that this routine and habit that he created to basically win, this was just another day. He didn't need to know how many strokes that he really had to do. He already knew how many. He didn't need to know whether he was drifting towards the left or the right because he was just going straight. And that's what's mind blowing about this, about this keystone habit or small wins. Because the moment that you get up and the moment that you start doing little things that are small achievements like making your bed in the morning or going to the gym for five minutes or eating and preparing the breakfast that you wanted these small little things completely change your entire direction of your day because it makes the next thing that you do and the next thing that you do that much more probable that it will happen and you will get to that goal so the moment that you hit you know like michael phelps this olympic final race you've done it before You've already achieved everything that you've done in your day and previous days and previous days. This is just another day. It's just titled Olympic finals, but you've done this hundreds of times before. And another thing that was pivotal for these small wins and for Michael Phelps was by visualizing. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, visualizing what you want from life and what you want throughout your day and you know, with certain things that you do is, is also very vital. 
It doesn't mean that if you visualize it, you're going to make it happen. But it just means that when you do eventually come to the point where you're coming face to face with this obstacle or with this thing that you want to achieve, you've already seen that obstacle. You've already faced it. Michael Phelps, when he he mentioned in an interview, when he realized that water had gotten into his goggles, the first thing he told himself is that you visualized what would you do if this would happen. So it wasn't something new for him. The first time that it's happened to him, but it wasn't new in terms of visualization. And you know that's what's so important about habits. Once you do understand these habits, and you know once you implement new ways to live, one can empower. Yourself to change things that might have seemed impossible, or might have seen that this is going to be for eternity. In regards to the book that I mentioned, I'm going to include the link to this book if you scroll down on the episode where you find it, as well as on my Instagram, on my Twitter. So what's going to happen is、uh, the link is going to take you to my personal Amazon recommended items page. It's a page that I created where you know certain books or items that I use myself that I find really useful and. You know, I would want to share with you guys.、Um, it's going to be all on there. I've tried to find the ones that have like the best deals and ones that have been discounted and stuff. And、uh, you can purchase them and truly benefit from all these different things. I'd highly, highly recommend. The book is called The Power of Habits.、Um, it's a yellow book. You'll see it.、Um, it's it's honestly, I haven't finished it yet. But from what I've like learned so far, it's given me like inspiration to make major changes in my life. Um, I'm not working right now, as a lot of you guys might know, and you know it, it's difficult to be able to structure yourself. And I find that with this, whether you have a busy day or whether you're not working at all and you have nothing to do, it gives you the power to be able to structure your own life instead of someone else telling you that you should be working ten to seven, nine to five, or whatever the case is. You can structure your own life with the habits that you want. It doesn't always have to be negative. If you're trying to hit the gym, you can change the routine. You can change even the cue. You can, if your cue is running shoes, if you put on your running shoes and that's what gets you to the gym, put your running shoes beside your bed. So every morning when you wake up, the first thing you slip into are your running shoes. Immediately, you've already triggered your brain to realize that I'm in a state to be going to the gym. And there's so much more. You know, the answers really aren't in this book. The answers really aren't, you know, with what I say. The answers are with you going out and trying new things and seeing what works for you. Of course, this book is a huge catalyst. I'd highly recommend for you guys go and get it. If you're having any issues with the link that I that I、uh, I'm gonna post, definitely let me know. But it should be completely fine. I've triple checked everything. It should be completely fine. And like always,、um, I hope you guys did enjoy the episode. Please like and comment, and you know share to other people that you think can benefit from this. And tune into next week.、Um, once again, it's Vito Persian and all things life. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Peace out.